from the NFL. If you're Dak Prescott, individual numbers aren't enough anymore. You want to get paid? Win something. To the NBA. Who gives a about the Pelicans if Zion don't play? Across the landscape of college football. There's no such thing as a good loss in the ACC. So if you're Clemson, you better win every game. And so much more. Let's talk some sports, baby. The stories you want. Baseball is back. Basketball is almost back. And football is on the way. You love to see it. The opinions you need. Sports is what this country needs. And I truly, truly believe that. Holla at your boy. It's Jay Wise. It's the drink. It's the beard. And it's the wisdom. I hope you brought pen and paper because class is in session. And Nathan Drinkard. Remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. We're going to holler at you until next time, baby. This is A Drink of Wisdom. Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. With Nathan Drinkard, I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thank you for spending some of your time with us today. As a reminder to all our listeners, besides being on all your favorite podcast platforms, A Drink of Wisdom is also on YouTube with each so segment available. Head on over and like what you hear. We would appreciate your subscription. What's going on, Drinks? It's you and me today, man. How's it going? Saturday, football's back, man. You know what it is. You know I'm in a good mood. We got football. We got NFL to talk about. I know we got college football to talk about. So, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. You know, I'm excited. Glad we got some, some stuff to talk about. So you know what it is. You know what time it is. Let's talk some sports, baby. Let's roll, baby. Let's do it, man. In episode two of season two, the NBA playoffs roll on. We give our NFL award predictions and preview the weekend of college and NFL football. Let's go ahead and begin tonight in the world of the NFL with the first game of the 2020 season. The defending Super Bowl champions defeated the Houston Texans 34-20 to in a socially distanced Arrowhead Stadium Thursday night. The Chiefs' near-billion-dollar offense looked pretty sharp as Mahomes led long drives, racked up 211 yards of offense with three touchdowns. The Texans started fast, and they sort of failed to find the rhythm there, and some frantic drives did push the score close late, but the Chiefs dominated most of the game, for being honest. So, Drink, the result likely wasn't surprising to many folks. Um, did anything else stand out to you about this game? Well, hey, first and foremost, I'd be remiss if I didn't say this right off the top. The attitude of the fans, mm-hmm. um, that was unacceptable. That, that bull crap, first of all, I think we got we to gotta think about where we where we at as a country, um, where we at as a world, to be honest with you. With COVID coming out, um, it was already, listen, you open up the stadium, you only let 25% of the stadium be filled. So that means anybody that had a ticket to those games was in a very, very small select group, meaning you should be more appreciative that you were sitting in the stands while this game was being played. Because it's a whole 75% of fans that can be in that stadium that was not there for right reasons. Now, okay, you're there, you paid your money, I got it. You have your right to have your opinion about things, but when these teams decide to lock arms and and make a gesture for social injustice, it wasn't like they were saying, hey, we're out of here, we're not gonna play football today. We just suckered y'all into paying y'all money Good luck with a refund. That's not what they was doing. They came out, they came out and they made it, they made a gesture, they locked arms. It lasted like five minutes. It wasn't nothing crazy. And, and they had pretty much 
what I would equate to a moment of silence for, for the, you know, the invincible violence that's going on in, in the country today. That's what that was. That wasn't disrespecting nobody. They didn't say this group is better than that group. It, was, it wasn't anything of that sort. And then for those fans, instead of them just sitting there and, okay, we're not expecting you to lock arms because you got to be social distancing, but just sit there and let them do what they got to do, do their protest, send their message to the 1% because that's what that was for, um, to open their eyes, and then let's roll. No, we got I, I wasn't a fan of that. Quite, I was quite disturbed by that, to be honest with you. And look, and here's the deal. I got something for you. If this would have been an NBA game and the fans would have pulled that, I guarantee you, you better pay attention because those players would have said, oh, okay, cool. Back to the locker room. We out. Good luck getting your money back. You're lucky it was the NFL and not the NBA. And, and I think... All the fans that watch that game on that television, all the media personnel, et cetera, et cetera, don't let that get too far ahead of you. All those people need to sit down and just think about like that how disrespectful that was. Like, I don't I don't get it. These players could have easily not been playing. How interesting is is that game if Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes not playing? Or Tyreek Hill, you know. David Johnson for that fact of the matter. Or Andy Reid decide, man, I'm too old for this. Let me go sit down somewhere. Like, I ain't trying to catch COVID. So you have to think about this. All of these people putting their health at risk. I'm not saying they was doing it for free, but they was putting their health at risk to entertain us. They didn't have to do that. And and how do we repay them? Boom! Like, that ain't it. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping we don't see that anymore. For the rest of the NFL season, I'm hoping we'll see. Um, because I like how everybody want to say, if you take a knee, right, you're disrespecting the military. But then when the players are just trying to protest without taking a knee, you're still booing them. So what they, what does that? What's the alternative? Right. What is the alternative? You know. So uh, I wasn't a big fan of that. But enough of that to get to the actual game itself. <laughs> you know, Kansas City was Kansas City. Uh, yep. uh, Patrick Mahomes started slow. I thought he started a little slow. But I need to put that slow start on Demetrius Ross. I don't know what he did before the game. I guess, you know, a lack of preseason, um, something. But Demetrius Robson, listen. And for those that don't know who Demetrius Robson is, that was number 11 uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. He dropped two touchdowns. That, that ain't going to cut it. Two of them. The first one he dropped, okay, that was a very competitive play. Um, it, I don't think he – I think he underestimated the skill level of Patrick Mahomes because I don't think he thought the ball was going to get dropped in his lap like that with the defender draped on him, but it did. And then he dropped it. And then the second one was like, I want to say right before halftime, where Mahomes does his patented – I'm going to bend this football around a football player throw. And it, it curved around and hit and hit Demetrius Robinson in the bread basket. And then he dropped that one too. And I'm just like, review. <laughs> oh, that's a basketball thing. No, review his playing time. Get him on the sideline. Because 
what are we doing here? Like the Patriots, what are we doing? You know, DeMarcus, I should say, I'm sorry. DeMarcus, what are we doing here? Like, you got to catch those. But the Chiefs overcame it. Um, you can definitely tell the lack of preseason hurt the Texans a lot more than it hurts the Chiefs. Um, when you look at all those new pieces that the Texans were trying to incorporate, they needed the preseason. They really did. The Chiefs, they had a little bit, a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt because the majority of their team outside of uh, Clyde Edwards left, um, we knew of, they didn't play together, that we knew what we was going to get. And did I say Clyde Edwards left? Let's talk about Clyde Edwards left for a minute. I remember when we was um, watching the draft and we was texting, you know, and we was like, well, I wonder what's going to happen here. With the 32nd pick, the Kansas City Chiefs pick, Clyde Edwards left, running back, Louisiana State University. Ain't DeAndre Swift still on the board? Ain't uh, J.K. Dobbins still on the board? Jonathan Taylor still on the board? How did, one off. How, how did he get picked first? And we and we kind of was like a little baffled, but then I think we came to our senses and we talked about it and said, he might just fit their scheme better. That's what we seen last night. He fits what they want to do. He's, his low center of gravity, his hands, his aggression, he put on a, a clinic for a rookie first game. He really did. Now the question is, can he sustain that clinic he put on? He was fantastic. And I'm telling you right now, you give Patrick Mahomes a run game like that, it's going to be tough to beat him. You're going to have to put up some points to beat him. Because if he can rely on his running back like he did last night, or like he did Thursday night, it's going to be tough to beat him. It really is. It's going to be tough to beat him. Um, so I was very impressed with him. He ran over 100. I think he broke a record for uh, a rookie running back in his first game uh, with, the, with the rushing and, and receiving uh, scrimmage yards. Um, he looked fantastic. Uh, I, I, I'm willing to say he looked better Thursday night than he looked against my boys in Tuscaloosa last year. You know what I'm saying? He looked fantastic. Uh, very impressed with that. Like I said, I can't say enough about uh, Patrick Mahomes' performance. He, he, he did what he do. Travis Kelsey, you know, Tyreek Hill, I, the whole crew. Another thing, did you see Andrew Reid out there looking like a firefighter? Who idea was that? Who idea was that? He a little windshield wiper to, like, you know, like put a little motor on top and a little wiper to just kind of keep it clear for him. I'm like, what? Yo, that show, he out here trying to call a play. He got to turn this thing to the side. It's all fogged up. He needed to defrost up. It was just, what? who idea was that? I hope they got to fix that. I understand Andy Reid is older and you want to protect them. You got to fix that. You know, I don't know what's going on with that. Um, that was a tad bit ridiculous, if I must say so myself. Um, so, <laughs> so that, that, that got my attention. Now, let, let's go over. Let me, let's talk about Texas for a little bit. Deshaun Watson, he did about what he can do. Um, that offense was a little bit anemic. Shouts out to David Johnson. We see some of that old juice. Um, he looked good. He came out. He, he did. He, he looked a lot better than I gave him credit for. So I, I got to definitely say he, he he did give Deshaun Watson, I thought, a different dimension than what he's used to. Because uh, he used to have a ragtag running backs back there that might get you 100 yards on a, on a good day. 
Dave Johnson ran the ball well. Um, I got to give him credit for that. I thought the offensive line played – I thought they played well. I, I just felt like Deshaun Watson didn't get enough help from his receiving core. I thought that was the weak portion. And we said that. we When you have – when your top three – well, top two of your top three receivers are, are guys from other teams and you don't have a preseason, we knew – that they was going to have a bit of an adjustment, a bit of a problem. But in that first, I think it was that first drive or second drive where they drove down the field and David Johnson was going that touchdown. So, we, you know, myself, I'm thinking like, hmm, okay, they might be more of, you know, more together than I thought. And then we see the rest of the game unfold and it's like, all right, now you see, you got Kenny Stills out here giving you 70%, you, you know, um, I forgot Randall Cobb even played on the team until, like, what? I think he got his first pass, like, third quarter or something, and he caught, like, a little joint behind the, the, the line Cobb. of scrimmage. And, yeah, Cobb and Cooks combined for four catches of 43 yards. They were, like, two for 20-something each. Yeah, it wasn't a, wasn't a big performance from them, though. So, you know what I'm saying? So, you forget those two, and, and so that only leaves you with uh, Fuller and Stills. And Stills, like I said, I, ju- I just wasn't. I don't, I don't know what that was about. So he had to depend on the tight ends a lot more than he probably wanted to. Um, Fuller was hit or miss. He, he did, you know, he did catch over 100 yards. Eight, so yeah, eight for 112. That's solid. So, I mean, he wasn't there or anything. Uh, but you got to, as you expect, when Deshaun, I mean, when DeAndre Hopkins left, now you will, Fuller, you are considered the number one receiver there now. So you're going to have to, like, Take, take ownership a little bit more, I thought. You got to take a little bit more ownership. You got to make your, your franchise quarterback feel like he can trust you, like DeAndre Hopkins did when he was there. Because that's your role now. It is what it is. I ain't say you asked for it, but that is your role. Um, so I've I, I seen that. They definitely got some things that need to work out there. Now let's talk about defense a little bit. Uh, the defense, I thought the front seven of Houston – wasn't terrible. Um, listen, Kansas City make anybody's secondary look bad. I don't care. Like, they're going to find them weak link because they have so many weapons and they're going to pick up on that weak link. So they can make anybody's secondary look bad. However, it's easy to see if your secondary look bad from the start without Kansas City help, right? And I thought Houston wasn't bottom of the barrel, but they wasn't good enough to, like, be uh, elite you know, offensive team either. And I can say the same thing with Kansas City. Kansas City was having problems on the back end. I thought I thought outside of that one rush where David Johnson looked at phenomenal and he just bulldozing guys and got in the end zone. Outside of that rush, I thought they did pretty well against the rush. David Johnson, he just he had a good debut, but I can't I can't knock it. Um we gotta see though. I can't I can't be too hard because Listen, this was the first game of the season. You had no preseason, so you kind of out there. You did what they do in college football every year. You kind of just get that first game and hope for the best, right? Um, and, and that's what happened. So, overall, I thought it was a good first game of the season. I'm waiting to see what the test results of this game is. I'm, I'm, I'm on pins and needles. I, I want to see how many positive results come back from this game, and that would be the, 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 the bar for the rest of the NFL season, most likely. So, outside of that, um, I was just surprised with the fans, man. 
to, to recap, my most surprised name was the fans' attitude. I couldn't believe that that's how we're going to start the season with, with, some, with a bull crap attitude like that. So that, that's what I took away from that game. Yeah, that was uh, definitely disappointing. Uh, thanks for clearing that up because, you know, we talked for the show. I, I turned the game on essentially at kickoff. I didn't get to see any of that. I mean, I literally – the ball was in the air when I turned my TV on. So, uh, I had heard about that afterwards. And, I, I mean, the only thing I can really say is I, I – you know, not even really being devil's advocate, but I, I think that people, like, have gotten so polarized now. Like, I think that people just don't want to see any real life in football or any sport, but that's not going to happen. It's just, it's not realistic to expect anymore. The, the link, the connection between sports and the social justice movements are so inextricable at this point. And I think what's, what's like you said, what's really disappointing is the NFL and the players have really tried to think, all right, how can we kind of show our support for what's going on, but, but be, I guess is nice about it. That's the word, you know, that they're trying to really strike a middle ground to bring people together. And it's still making people mad. Like, you know, the, 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 the initial Kaepernick protest years ago, obviously that, that horse has been beat to death, but I could. And I think I was going to say, I think the word that best fits is the NFL is trying to compromise with, with the it's fans. what it feels like. Right. Because yeah. that, that's, that's definitely what you kind of think that would happen. And it's disappointing to see, like, you know, people kind of drew that line in the sand. We don't want to see kneeling the flag and all that. All right. All right. Like, we get away from that. We, we try something else, and it's still, like, it's not good enough. And that's when the players really have a point, like, yo, what do you want us to do? Like, what, what, what do you want from us? You know, we're, we're trying to make this work for everyone. We want everyone to watch. You know, we want you all to get the message we're trying to put out. We want you to watch the game. So, yeah, that, that's disappointing. Hopefully that was just a one-off thing. Uh, maybe the rest of the fans will be a little bit better about it. You know, some stadiums won't have any fans. Some will have, you know, that was probably about the most fans we're going to see that 25, 30%. So, you know, that, that may be a thing. Maybe, maybe the Texans got the right idea by staying in the locker room for the, for the anthem and then coming out afterwards. Um, it just, it just feels that, that just sucks because that like, that's like a really, like I said, it's a really kind of a sour taste, like right before the game, you all know, this hype. And then that's like a, just a kind of, kind of feeling so I thought the production you moved on from that the production was great I think the NFL did a great job I didn't really notice it was limited fans or anything it just felt like an NFL game so uh, again you know the NBA did I think did a pretty good job they had a it maybe had a harder challenge NFL you can hide it a little bit better with the camera angles and stuff Um, but they uh, they did a great job of, of putting the production on and making it feel like football and game-wise, you know, I don't think we learned a ton from the game itself. We we know the Chiefs' offseason, how it was. They, they were going to be dialed in. You know, virtually every playmaker's back, and, and the, the few they may not have don't really seem to be missed. Uh, obviously, Mahomes, he doesn't have that $500 million hangover. He was brilliant from top to bottom in the game, from his decision-making to being elusive to his arm. Um, one thing that really stood out was was really how well Kansas City ran the ball. And, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt because, you know, you said that the Texas front seven wasn't bad, but this isn't your – the Davian Clowney, Whitney Merciless, J.J. Watt, and their prime sort of, you know, Texans from a few years ago. This unit's gone through a lot of changes. And But but the Chiefs' offensive line was moving bodies last night. I mean, Edwards Hilaire, he didn't really have to work for those initial yards. I mean, they were – he was running through pretty big holes. And that's pretty terrifying, right? Because your game plan against the Chiefs, you know, anytime you play the Chiefs, you're a defensive coordinator. What, you know, Monday morning, you know, before the game – you know, in a week, what, what, the first thing you're going to say is, all right, we, we got to, we got to limit the big plays. We got to limit Mahomes down the field, you know, you know, two deep safeties, you know, deep zone, keep it in front of us, short gains. Um, 
Well, that doesn't really seem to work either now because the Chiefs offense led 11 play drive out of the gate. And they also had a 16-play drive that was 92 yards, I think. It was the longest in Mahomes' career to date. Uh, so one of the few weaknesses you might be able to find with this team, uh, which was maybe the running game, which they were a little suspect in this past season, um, and consistently being able to move the chains, not being – you know, we saw, in the, especially in the playoffs, they were real streaky. You know, they'd have a lot of drives just three and out. You know, that didn't really seem to be a thing last night. So that, that's terrifying to think about. They might be even better. Um, and as far as the Chiefs' defense goes, I think they were a little suspect at times. Uh, probably gets a little oversold if you look at the final score of the game in the yards because the Texans were kind of going chewing up that prevent defense and garbage time. I mean, that game was like 31-7 to for a while. So, um, But I think that, uh, you know, they have guys like Chris Jones back, obviously. Uh, Shavaris Ward, he went down with a hand injury, set secondary, already a little thin, be a little thinner. Uh, Legereus Sneed, quick child to the rookie, man. He played really well. Rookie from L.A. Tech, fourth-round pick. Uh, he had an interception last night. He was – like smothering some of those wide receivers. He looked really good. He had a couple nice breakups. Um, I liked him a lot. I was, I had him mocked to my team, but Hey man, he, he did great for Kansas city. And if he's playing well, that's going to help that unit a lot because that's probably one position they are a little light on besides a guy or two, but you know, overall, I think Houston, you know, they didn't look awful. Uh, you're not going to play the Super Bowl champs every week. They are. What we thought they were Mahomes or uh, Watson's going to have to be lights out. Perfect. I thought he was really good, but he wasn't like, perfect you know by any means he had a couple of missed passes and whatnot uh took a couple sacks he maybe could have gotten rid of the ball but he's gonna have to be amazing for them to win games uh david johnson got get the pep and step he looked pretty good and, and you know the the defense eh, i mean they they're definitely gonna be the weaker side of that unit this year and they are gonna be in shootouts so it's just gonna be as what it is for the texans but i, I still think that's about an eight and eight team i just i don't you know you're not gonna play Kansas city on the road every week but uh, oh, overall, yeah, I mean, they are who we thought they were, basically, is what like, you could sum the game up as far as the on-field goes. And, and one more thing I want to say was um, shout-out to the referees. Uh, the referees did not come out here just calling every call out of the sun. I mean, um, for three quarters, I thought it was relatively quiet from the referees. They called a little something here, a little something there. But it wasn't like, all right, let's slow down the action. Let's run to a replay. Boom. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, they stayed out of the game for the most part. They let them play. So, uh, you know, got to give a shout-out to the referees. So we give them a hard time when they do something wrong. We got to give them a shout-out when they, they actually make the game more pleasurable, and that's what they did Thursday. Absolutely, yeah. There was uh, there was six penalties for 42 yards, it looks like. So, pretty that's pretty quiet by NFL standards. All right, man, let's go over to the NBA and run down the current state of the playoffs. The Eastern Conference has their business wrapped up as of last night. Boston Celtics sunk the Toronto Raptors 92-87, securing their date with Miami in the Eastern Conference Finals. So we're going to go ahead and kick it off in the Eastern Conference side of things. Let's go ahead and start with some news from Milwaukee. So we highlighted some of the offseason changes possibly coming to them this week, this past week. But uh, later this week, we've learned since that Giannis does plan to stay. Mike Boldenholzer's job is safe, reportedly. And some guys might be on the trading block. So this this news is kind of shocking to you, Drink? Nope. Nope. Uh, we talked about this last week. And remember, I said, if, if this roster stays the way it is, Giannis is out of here. And then Jay said, because he feels as if Giannis is a very loyal guy and he's a very I want to win here type of guy that he was going to stay. But it seems like we both was hidden somewhat in the right direction of what they want to do. Giannis came out and said, look, I'm not pursuing a trade. I'm not pursuing the front office to make any changes. He's supposed to say that, though. He's like, Giannis is not 
he's not LeBron James or he's not, uh, you know, uh, James Harden. He's not going to come out on the mic and be like, oh, yeah, I know what we need to do. <laughs> we need to cut some dead weight. You know what I'm saying? He's not going to do that. He has shown us that's not his personality. That's not the type of guy he is. He's a team guy. So he's going to come out and say, I'm not asking for all this. And to be honest with you, I believe him. He's not asking for all this. You know why he's not asking for none of this? Because he don't have to. That's He got me. He got you. He got media. He got everybody else that would ask for this for him. He don't even say anything. Because let's be real here. You're not winning a championship with this roster as is. You're not. I don't care what you tell me. Eric Bledsoe ain't getting you a championship. We just seen that. He's, he's not going to get it done. You can't depend on him. Middleton can be a piece for a championship, but I'm starting to wonder, as a number two, he might not be able to get it done either. Uh, I don't know. Uh, he hasn't shown me enough to make me think that he can get it done as a number two. You can't tell me we don't have a large enough sample size of Chris Middleton being a number two, and they're not getting it done, right? So to your point, like you said, it's rumors going around. Possibly CP3 coming down, uh, or maybe Milwaukee makes a trade somewhere down. Like we, we kind of we talked about Fred, uh, Fred Van Vliet. Maybe you do a sign and trade this offseason. Toronto do that and try to, you know, maybe switch the Milton and you throw in a second round draft pick and one of the guys off the bench to get your Fred Van Vliet some more shooting around Giannis. Um, and, and, and to your point, yes, I do understand Middleton, as of right now, is a better player than Fred, Fred Van Bleek is. I got that. He has a, a, a better pedigree, I, I would say. But Fred, Fred Van Bleek gives Giannis what he wants the most, a guy that he can – a dependable shooter because that's what he needs. We didn't talk about this. Giannis' mid-range mid game needs to be better. His three-point range don't necessarily like he don't have to light it up, but he just need to go a couple percentage higher. And then we, we talked about the free throw shooting. Well, all that can improve if Giannis don't have to run into the great wall of China every doggone play. You know what I mean? So and how do you defeat that? You get somebody that makes the defense fear their shooting. Don't get me wrong, Brooke Lopez. Um, uh, God, the guy, I lost one. But Brooke Lopez, it's a couple of guys on that team that can shoot the three very well. I really like what Brooke Lopez is doing when he's on. He, he can shoot that ball very well from the five spot. But you got guys like Bledsoe. How, how much are they playing at Bledsoe? Uh, good bit, yeah. <laughs> it's like, just signed that extension recently. It was like 70-something million, I think. Yo. You can go find a couple of rocks out in your front yard that's shooting the three better than him. So you you got all that money floating around, and he ain't giving you nothing. Um, you know, George Hill is hit and miss as your backup point guard. So it's like it's something got to happen with this roster. With that said, I do think Milwaukee is a capable franchise of making this happen. Uh, you also alluded that they're keeping uh, Mike Budenholzer, which I think they should. Um, I, don't, I don't necessarily say, oh, is this Buddha holds the ball? Should he have made some adjustments? Yeah. But do we even know if he could have made adjustments? Like, that's one thing we gotta think about. Maybe he didn't have like, the sauce he needed to make the proper adjustment. 
once again, you need some roster changes. I'm not going to blame Mike Woodall for that. Coach of the year, um, he's been a top-notch coach in this league. And you have to understand, people always fire him, fire him, fire him, and replace him with who? You got to understand this. You have to replace him with somebody. And for that GM, if that GM fires a good coach and then replaces him with garbage, he's getting fired next. That's it. That's how it works. So you, we understand the dynamics of, all right, we're going to leave Buddha Hose alone. Giannis want to stay. All right, now let's get to the, the good stuff. Let's build this roster. Let's get some more pieces to help Giannis develop more and get to that next level. That, and, and that's how I'm looking at uh, Milwaukee right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I mostly agree. I, I, I was a little surprised that Bullhoser's job was being reported safe this quick. I, I thought that that might be a decision they would kick around for a while. Like, I'm not overly surprised that it is safe in, in general, but I thought that that was – it was, like, kind of – surprising that the word got out that fast like oh yeah yeah he's good he's safe don't worry about it um I, I don't know like I, I think that the, the flip side of that is if you hold on to a coach that that can't get you there that can get you through the regular season but they can't get you to the playoffs it's not really any better because obviously Milwaukee has progressed from the team that wasn't winning a lot of games to winning a bunch of games to making the playoffs consistently you're at the you're at the precipice of the mountain like you, you're you're about at the top right and you know, I don't know. Mike Bulldozer to me hasn't proven yet that I'm the guy that can get you above that if I have the right pieces. Like, I feel like you only get what you were going to get out of your roster anyway with him. But that's just me. Um, I, I can see Milwaukee wanting to run it back with him again. I don't, I don't you know, I can't say that's a bad I think they give, him, they give him one more year. They, right. They so, last year. Right. That makes sense. So that's, you know, okay. Um, you know, I think that you, you're going to have to make some moves. And I, I like that Giannis didn't come out and he didn't trash his franchise. He didn't say, oh, yeah, you know, these bums, we got to do this now. Like cut the dead weight and, you know, turn the sails and all that. But I think that they they should be very aware that if they don't do something with him soon, that he is going to potentially leave in free agency. So, yeah, I think Red, Red Fleet would be a great signing. I think that if he was willing to take maybe a little less money than, say, like the Knicks or someone would, like, put their, put his name on the stadium just to have him show up type thing. Um that might be smart because he'd still be on a contender and he'd be a perfect fit in this Milwaukee team. Maybe a guy like CP3, get another ball handle in there. And if you can move on from Middleton's contract, it's going to give you some more assets to work on in the future. So we'll see how that plays out. We got some more to get to. So let's go ahead and keep rolling. Uh, Boston, Toronto, uh, Boston takes him down in game seven. Anything surprising about that? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say surprising. I thought, um, listen, if you go talent for talent, um, we, we like to do what we call a talent breakdown for these series, right? We're like, let's think about the top five players in this series. Um, you know, who's the number one player? Um, I think a lot of people would have said before the series started, the number one player in this series was between Pascal Siakam or Jason Taylor. One of those two was the number one, and then obviously the, the other one was number two. Right. So let's say... Let's say before the series, I, I would say Siakam probably was considered number one because of what we had seen him do. We know Jason Tatum was fire, but we had we wanted to see a little more. Yeah, it was um, very, so, very close. You know what I'm saying? Very, very close. Uh, Razor thin. And so you probably would have had Siakam, and then you, you would have probably had Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, you know, and possibly Kimball Walker. And then you get around to Kyle Lowry. Uh, and, and Fred Van Bleek and, and so on and so forth. My point is this. 
if you went talent for talent, Boston sh- should have won the series, I think, because I do think that Brad Stevens is a better coach than Nick Nurse. Um, even though I got it, Nick Nurse is an NBA winning champion. I got that. But now you're talking about a total different team this year, meaning you're going to have to pull more out of Nick Nurse this year. Can you pull that more? I have seen Brad Stevens piece up a game plan and try to beat LeBron and push LeBron to seven games. And, you know what I'm saying, I just seen him against, the, you know what I'm saying, against the elite and actually come up with a game plan. And you like, yo, how did the Celtics even win that game? Right. I can't necessarily say I've seen that out of the Raptors. I do. I did like they fight in the series, without a doubt. I'm not surprised with the overall result, but I would say this: Toronto, if if if, if Fred VanVleet does leave, is I think that championship window is closed. I just I don't see unless you get another phenomenal one year rental from somebody. I think the window is closed. Cause you got to think. Marcus saw he ain't got much left on the trades. He's, he's going to be out of here sooner or later. How much do that Barker got left on the trade? How long do Lowry hang around? Um, that's what that's the problem when you have these veteran-laden teams. You're not going to have them very much longer. Right. Your young guys, Powell, Siakam, Anobi, um, those guys might be around for the next you know three to five years or so. But I would not be surprised to hear. Gasol retired this year after the season. I wouldn't be surprised to hear that. I wouldn't um, be surprised to hear Baca getting ready to shut it down. Um, this is another guy I've seen. Lowry probably played for another two or three years just because yeah. I play. I can see him playing a little longer. But, you know, I think the window closed for Toronto. I, 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 I know this might be a hot take, but I'm going to go with it. Fresh and hot. Fresh off the press. Listen to this take. Um, I, I think the window closed for Toronto. We, we'll see how, how they roll. Um, but I think the series went the way it was supposed to go. Um, th- thanks for coming. And in the Eastern Conference, right, before we move on, this is crazy. So the one and two seed get bounced. So now you got the three and four seed, the three and five seed, I should say, playing for the, the, the conference finals for the East. And then we, we're looking at the West, I, you know, I – we look like we're on the right collision course for the West, I'd say that. Um, so this is very, very unique within itself to see how they unfold it because everybody want to talk about the Eastern Conference is the least Eastern Conference according to skill Bayless. And you could just run a rope shot, but you cannot tell me the Western Conference was more competitive than the Eastern Conference this year. The Eastern Conference was very, very competitive. Very competitive. I mean, we talked about this beforehand. Jimmy Butler is going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. Who, who, we, we knew they was a, a, a competitive team, but we didn't think they was a Finals Conference team until now. So that's one thing to look at. But, yeah, man, Toronto in trouble. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see how they bounce back from, from this exit and what they do in the offseason. Yeah, the uh, I mean, we we have time to get into their their deal there at some point. I, I would say that their championship window probably closed, but I think they're still gonna be a very competitive team. I think they'll still be you know a playoff team in the East for a while. I think they got a good enough core and Nick Norris is good enough. They'll they're gonna rebound quickly. And you also they have a very good GM who's built this team. He's he's a smart guy. He's gonna know how to kind of navigate the waters. But yeah, they've got some definite changes coming. 
Um, they probably won't, again, they probably won't be in the championship again anytime soon, but I think this, this core is good enough to build around. As far as the games themselves, you know, I think in the series, I think the Toronto kind of made a mistake of maybe not using their bench enough. You had their, their starters played a lot of minutes, man. I think Ren Fleet had like 45 last night. I mean, they've been doing that every game. Obviously, the double overtime game in game six. And I, I think that you look at the minutes that Toronto played on their bench, it was really, really, really low. And, you know, I, I think that started to bite them as this game, as the series kept going and kept going. You know, I think Boston had that right mix and Toronto maybe didn't. Uh, Siakam really wasn't that superstar. We, we thought he was going to be. We talked about this some before the show. You know, I think it's for Siakam, it was a little bit of a problem of getting paid and having outrageously high expectations because we knew, you know, you have a Kawhi vote. Kawhi could be considered the best player in the world right now. I mean, you, you can make that argument. And Siakam was expected to just step in. You got paid. You're already on this meteoric rise. You're most improved player, potentially two years in a row. You know, this is it. You got to be a superstar now, man. Go out there and score 35 a night. And I don't think he's that guy yet. So, but he had to be that guy if Toronto was going to win the series. And he wasn't, you know, he was, he was really below average, even what he would play at normally. But that was, I think, another thing that sunk Toronto was just they didn't get enough out of him. And again, I don't know if that's 100% Siakam's fault. A lot of it was outside of his control, expectations wise. But if Toronto's going to win more games, he's got to be better. Uh, Marcus Smart had a great series. Big shout out to him. He might have been the best player in the series in the last, last mm -hmm. couple of games. And uh, hey, Grant Williams, give this, this give the rookie a shout out, man. He played a lot of ball down the stretch in that fourth quarter. Yeah. Poor Tice comes back in for ten seconds, fouls right back out of the game. Williams yeah. comes in. He had a big uh, he had a big defensive series late. He had some big rebounds. I mean, he made some right good passes. Good on him. Uh, it must be nice to be the Celtics and have this championship level roster, and then also have all these draft picks just to throw in whenever you want. Mm -hmm. And, hey, you know, and shout out Tatum and Brown. They were the dudes of the series. You know, they weren't always both amazing. But they they really played at the level they have to play at if Boston is going to win games. Like I said, they will go as far as Tatum and Brown can take them. And as long as they're playing this well, they have a chance against anybody they play. But, again, you know, if, if they start faltering a little bit, this team's going to start going back down pretty quick, uh, just as easy. And, and one more thing I want to say. I think the biggest difference – in this series is what you just said about Marcus Smart. I think Marcus Smart was the determining factor that got with all these all-stars and, you know, superstars or whatever in this series. To me, Marcus Smart was the difference with his consistent play on defense, his grittiness, his toughness. That's the type of guy you would need to win a series like they just won. Now, they're going against the Miami Heat that has a guy like that. But the only difference is their guy has to be their star as well. Whereas Mark, Marcus Smart don't carry the same load as the star would. So that's going to be interesting. But that is what we said what, about a couple of weeks ago about, you know, Milwaukee and Toronto. They don't have that guy. They don't. And we see the difference and we see why those guys exist, why they have a place in it. All right, we're a little short on time, man. Let's go ahead and quickly kind of gloss over the Western Conference side of things, both those games still in action. We'll start with Houston, L.A. Uh, Lakers did get the 3-1 advantage over the Rockets yesterday. So um, anything Houston can do to try to get back in this, or you think Los Angeles nah, is over. It's, it's over, baby. LeBron got his momentum. AD got his momentum. If the Lakers, you know, pack it in and don't come out of the locker room, then the Rockets got a chance. But now nah, I think the Lakers going to wrap this up and get ready for the Clippers because they see what the Clippers are. 
I, I think so as well. But my, my one kind of question with this is it's kind of been that – I mean, I don't think Harden has been playing terrible, but he had a bad game. He had a bad game five. He was like two of 11 from the field. He had like 16 free throws. It's kind of made up for it. But I think that one of the problems we're seeing is Harden is not really played well enough to where – we, we kind of discussed it Tuesday and we said that we don't really think this is going to majorly impact his legacy and, and whatnot. But again, it feels like the same thing, you know, the Rockets get to the situation and they just fall apart. You got to do is get kicked out of the bubble, which got in rapids, you know, Harden is, is kind of flopping around Westbrook's flopping around. And I don't know. It just, it's disappointing to see the same old Houston Rockets. Right. And this, and this is why I said, I said they're going to get some criticism because of that. If they would have played and pushed the Lakers to seven. Okay, the Lakers should have won a series. That I can understand. But you win the first game, and then you you kind of lethargic since then. And you about to be a gentleman's well. I think people are going to ride them a little bit to say, listen, you guys get paid too much. You guys are considered top 15. But Harden's considered top five player. And right. then you got Westbrook at this point, probably top 15. And this ain't it. Five games, this, this ain't going to cut it. So... Yeah. The Portland Trailblazers did the same thing. Will we say the Rockets are the same as the Portland Trailblazers? I don't think so. And they just did the same thing, five games. So you get put out in five games, you deserve a little criticism. I'm sorry. Yeah, and real quick, uh, we got Clippers, Nuggets. Uh, looked like the Clippers were going to go ahead and put this series away in five as well. And then uh, Paul Millsap had an explosive third quarter, put him back in the game. And then Denver started hitting shots down the stretch, and they are still down 3-2, but they are alive. So a uh, little surprising there. But Clippers, they had to close this out, right? Like They, they should. But Mike Porter Jr. said what he said, and, and, and they held him to it. Listen, you got to get more people involved. This ain't a two-man show. Like, dude, I was the number one dude in the country when I came out of uh, high school. And I was, like, a, a high draft pick when I came out of college. Like, like I want the ball. Paul Millsap, veteran, been doing this thing for my all stuff. You got to get more people involved. This is what happens when you get more people involved. I think Denver, Mike's, we got another one. We might get seven games out of this series. Well, yeah, and I think that this is one of the questions I had. You know, we, we talked a lot about the Clippers, and we talked about how that switch can just flip on and off. You know, it will. But I'm wondering if, if the Clippers are starting to maybe not seem as scary as they have been. I mean, Paul George still is hot and cold. He's has, he's has good games, and he has 10-point games, or he just kind of does his thing. Obviously, Kawhi has to be perfect. The one game he took off of the series, they got destroyed in. So, uh, Lou Williams, Montrez Harrell. Don't seem to be all there most games. Montrez had 15 and 18 minutes one night, but then, like, last night he didn't do much. Pat Beverly seemed like he's in his own head. Like, I wonder if this Clippers team, as we look ahead, you know, it looks like they're going to take care of the series in six or seven, you know, if that matchup with the Lakers is starting to feel any different. But that that probably is a conversation for another day. But uh, definitely would expect the Clippers to take care of this. But, hey, this is what Denver did against Utah, so we'll see if they can do it again. All right, man, let's go ahead and get back over to the NFL season. And it has just gotten underway, and we have a great opportunity now to give out some early season award predictions. These are always fun. So we got all the usual suspects up, Jinx. Let's go ahead and get right into it. Let's start with MVP. Who do you think is going to be the MVP of the 2020 NFL season? My MVP for the 2020 NFL season will be a guy that I think should have been at least a two-time MVP at this point. But for some reason, they keep – Throwing dirt on his name, baby, and that's one. Russell Wilson, the quarterback out of Seattle Seahawks. He has done nothing but go to the gym and work on his shoulders because he's been carrying this team season after season after season. Listen, 
ever since the Legion of Boom was in and left, you cannot say Russell Wilson has not put this team on their shoulders since the Legion of Boom era. I'm sorry. Man can't get an offensive line no matter what he do. And then on top of that, some of these rooted poop, like wide receivers outside of Doug Baldwin, I mean, now he got DJ Metcalf and uh, possibly Josh Gordon here. But, you know, listen, the guy has done enough. You got a, you got a, a head coach that only care about the defense, clearly. Um, and he's still getting it done. I think he finally wins the MVP. Put some respect on that man there. I, I can't disagree with you on that one, um, you know, too much. I, I think Wilson's definitely a candidate, you poor guy, working on the shoulders and the legs, running from that pass rush he's always running from. Uh, I'm going to go with Patrick Mahomes. I'm really going to overthink this one too much. I, you know, and I know that's not really, the, like, a sexy pick or anything. And I, I think that Mahomes statistically may not quite have the year he had last year, but I think, like, the Chiefs are going to be so dominant this year. I think you're talking about a 14-15 win football team. Uh, I mean, I, I'd say if there was ever a team that would go 16-0, and 0, would, would it not be potentially this team this year? You know, I don't know if the defense is good enough for that, but I think that the Chiefs are going to be dominant through almost every one of their games, and I think that that domination of the league is going to be, even if it's more balanced in the running game and the passing attack is going to be, you know, he won't have, like, the, the, the video game numbers maybe, but they're going to – best record in the NFL. They're going to be a one seed. I think that's going to get Patrick Mahomes the nod for that. All right, let's go over to Offensive Player of the Year. He got – Did you say 16-0? Speaking of 16-0, let's talk about a team that should, I think, really have a very high chance of going 16-0, and that's one the Baltimore Ravens led by that quarterback, Lamar Jackson. And listen, I think I think it's a very high chance – People got to understand, Baltimore have the easiest schedule in the NFL this year. The easiest schedule. And they got top three, you know, most talented team in the NFL. And you got uh, top two most electrifying quarterback in the NFL, right? So with all that, when you put all that in the, the ingredients and you put that in the cake and you, you bake that, that young gun, listen, Lamar Jackson got a very good chance of being an offense player here. And I do think if they go 16 and 0, he might be the MVP as well. Um, but the reason I, I probably would knock him is because of the strength of schedule. We know Russell Wilson is going to play some killers when he has to go up against the uh, just in his division, the 49ers, the Rams, the Cardinals, just up in his division, and then all the other teams in the NFC. You know, Cowboys, whoever else they might end up playing. That's why I gave it to Russell Wilson for the MVP. But yeah, my offense player of the year will be one. The last year's MVP, Lamar Jackson. Not a bad one. I, 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 uh, I'm, a, I'm a little skeptical on how good he's going to be this year. I think they might have a little bit of a step back, but I, I mean, they could also just keep defying the expectations and do what he does. So he's always all he's done in his career so far. So um, I'm going to go with someone a little bit off the wall. I'm going to go with Saquon Barkley, running back for the New York Giants. I think that the Giants are going to be a very surprising team this year. And I, I can't even tell you exactly why I feel that way. Like I can't put it on paper and make like a great paper argument for it. But I just you know, we always, there's a team or two every year that comes out that we didn't see coming, right? You know, and I think the Giants might be that team. And one of the reasons I think Barkley has the year he has, one, is he was hurt last year. So he's had a year to get back to healthy and being good to go with everything. We forget how electrifying his rookie year was. And even then, he was fighting some injuries here and there. 
but they've invested heavily in that offensive line. You get Andrew Thomas and Will Hernandez, some first round picks on that left side. And I think Daniel Jones represents just enough of a passing threat, right? He's not going to light it up for 4,000 yards or anything, but I think that Daniel Jones already showed us that he's competent enough to run the passing game and be a dual threat. So the, the Giants are going to have somewhat of a balanced attack and it's not going to be just the Saquon show and, and no questions asked and nine man boxes and whatnot. He's probably the biggest threat on the offense, but I think that the Giants can do enough to get him involved. And I think Saquon Barkley's post for a really big year. All right. Let's move over to defensive player of the year. Yeah. Did you say a dark heart? Would you say off the wall pick? I got one for you. Off the wall. I went with Darius Leonard of the Indiana Colts. Um, listen, um, okay. uh, all pro guy in his rookie year, kind of he took a step back last year. I think he um, bounced back. Uh, he gets that, that defense rallied up. I think the Colts be a little better than I give him credit for just because of Billy Rivers. They had another quarterback. I probably give him more credit. Um, and I think it, that defense plays a lot better than we're looking at them right now. And it'll be because one, Darius Leonard, that middle linebacker, getting them in their right spots, getting them flying around, getting them playing. I like what he does. He is a dark horse. Um, and, you know, uh, even, let's say even if he don't finish uh, defense player, yeah, I think he will be in that top three or finalists or whatever the case might be for the award. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the, the young guy, middle linebacker, but He's a special dude, and I uh, get to see him twice a year when I watch the games at least, and he he definitely stands out every game. That could, wouldn't doubt it one bit. Uh, I'm going with uh, Nick Bosa here, and, and I'll be real honest with you. I, I want to put Josh Allen from the Jaguars on here, but I know I'd be a homer if I did that, so I'm, I'm going to go away. But I do have that kind of confidence in my man Josh Allen, really good player we got. But, but anyway, I think that Nick Bosa, who had a very similar year to Josh Allen statistically in the rookie years, I, I'm going against the Aaron Donald grains again. You know, you and me both think that probably Aaron Donald is, is like the easy pick here. Yeah. But Nick Bosa had nine sacks. He had 16 tackles for loss, 25 quarterback hits as a rookie. And he's going to have Javon Kinlaw on that off, uh, defensive line now. I mean, they still have a couple other studs on that defensive line. And I think that the Niners are overall still a very, very good team. And they're going to be ahead in a lot of games. And teams are going to have to try to throw the ball to come back. And that's going to give Nick Bosa a lot of opportunities. So I, I think he might very well have a case for a defensive player of the year. All right, let's go ahead and move over to the rookies. Good, good options here. Uh, offensive rookie of the year, who do you think? Hey, I know I know this might sound like a bit of a home pick here, but uh, it is what it is, baby. You know I got to go with my boy uh, Tua down in Miami. I think once he gets to get into the game, I don't think he starts the season. Um, so they might put him a little bit behind the power curve unless Fitzpatrick gets smoked on the, like, you know, the first or second play and then Tua trots out there. Um, but I would say this, once he get into the game, he's in a comfortable situation. He's in Miami. He's comfortable in Miami. He played a lot of ball in, in, in Miami. Um, and, you know, the, the, the guy, he has something to prove. I mean, you got something to prove, you come out there with the fire in the belly. He want to show that he's going to bounce back from that, that hip injury that he can still play. And he can't spin that ball. He got some weapons down in Miami. And it's not a lot of pressure on him right now. See, him and Joe Burrow are in two different situations. People are going to put pressure on Joe Burrow because he was the overall, first overall pick. Even though he's on the worst of team, he's still going to have more pressure. I think Tua comes in, lights some things up, turns some heads, and possibly eke out that offensive rookie of the year towards the end of the season. I thought about him a lot. My, again, my concern was just him getting on the field. I mean, 
Ryan Fitzpatrick is not just some he's not just some scrap heap quarterback you know I think he might be able to do enough to keep his job for a while because you know a lot of these teams will have a, a first round pick and then they'll have like just some dude you know and then some dude gets you know kicked out of the game by game two but if he does, I, I definitely think he, he definitely will could be. I'm going to go with uh, J.K. Dobbins. I think, um, I, I, again, this is kind of but playing into the whole thing. I think Lamar Jackson maybe is a, takes just a tiny step back this year. And I think the Ravens are going to have to balance out the offense a little bit more. And I think with Mark Ingram getting up there in age, Dobbins is going to get a lion's share of the carries. And they, the Ravens just employ so many chances for running backs to get touches from backfield passes, RPOs, everything else. And Dobbins, I think, was criminally underdrafted in this draft. And I think he's going to have a huge ship on the shoulder. And I think that he's going to have a, a whale of a year out of the gate. Now, I got one question. So where did that put Gus Edwards in his rotation? I just think he's better. I'd uh, be honest with you. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I guess that's, I, I kind of make it, you're making the same argument I just made for against Tua, which is not getting enough touches. But I think it's one of those things where Dobbins likely just is so good out of the gate that they're just going to go, well, I mean, why are we just going to give this kid the carries? You know, it's just, it just makes too much sense. So, and I think, I think C.D. Lamb is a very good argument, too, if you wanted to put up a second, you know, here, another possible honorable mention. All right, let's keep it moving. Uh, we have a next up defensive rookie of the year. Some more good options. What do you think? I'm going to go with the guy down in uh, Detroit. Uh, one Jeff Okuda, the cornerback. Listen, I, I heard this amazing stat about Jeff Okuda. And ever since then, I had to go back and watch some film on him last year just to see if it's true. Do you know last year he did not have not one pass interference call on him, not one wow. defensive holding call on him, not he didn't have no negative calls on him the whole season last year at Ohio State. That's that is impressive. I don't care who you are. You know how easy it is to get a pass interference call? You just run into a player and not even paying attention. They throw the flag. He did not get one of those calls. And I don't think it's just because he was paying off the referees or some conspiracy theory. I think he was just that good. His long arms, his frame, very, very good technique. And he just know how to play the game. And I feel like he could be one of those guys that cut the, the field in half. Unfortunately, he played for the Detroit Lions. So I guess it won't matter much. But he would do enough where people would, I think, recognize him for his skill set. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Jeff Cooper. I bet that's a that's some pretty interesting stats. Yeah, I'm gonna go, and I think both you and me again would both agree. If we were like, if a gun was to our head, it'd be probably Chase Young. We would pick. I mean, but again, you know, trying to get some other guys involved here. I'm gonna go with Kenneth Murray, linebacker for the Chargers uh, out of Oklahoma uh, draft pick. I think it was 26. They traded back up to get him. Um, you know, Chargers have a great defense, and this is even without Derwin James. I think Murray is going to have plenty of opportunities to shine in this defense. And I, I just loved watching him in Oklahoma. I thought he was a fantastic player. And I think in the NFL, he's going to have like a really well-rounded game. He can rush the passer sometimes. He can stop the run. He's got a little bit of coverage in him. I think that he's, they're going to find all kinds of uses for Murray. And he may very well, by a com combination of, of all the things he can do, he might wind up winning defensive rookie of the year. But I think Jeff Okuda, there's, there's a reason he was picked in the top three. He was right by Jay's Young, so definitely a reason for that. All right, let's go ahead and get away from the players a little bit and move on to the coaches for a moment. Uh, a lot of good coach of the year candidates you got. Well, and like I said, it's a lot of good ones, but I went with two in the AFC East division. Um, my primary is going to be Sean McDermott. I think this is the year where uh, someone other than New England wins that uh, division, and I think that's going to open a lot of eyes to the voters, the writers, the media, everybody that votes on this award. And I think he get his just due this year. 
But my secondary is one Bill Belichick. Why? Because they, the Patriots offseason have been this little motion. If he gets this team to the playoffs with Cam Newton and a bunch of guys at wide receiver court, it's going to be very hard not to recognize him for that. It's going to be very, very hard. Um, this is probably one of the worst teams building had since he's been with the Patriots. And if he still wins that division with this team, you kind of got to put some respect on his name, even though he's the GOAT when it comes to that. But you still got to put a little more respect. That, that's going to be very tough. So, yeah, I went with Sean McDermott as my number one and Bill Belichick as number two. Yeah, not only was all the talent signed away from New England, but then they had all the co- they they were hit the hardest by the COVID opt outs. You know, they lost they lost three or four more quality quality starters. You know, on that team, so that would be. I mean, I, th- I think they're going to do it, but uh, I think that uh, that would definitely make a good case. I- I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with Bruce Arians. So, and I, I know that maybe sounds a little off because it's like, well, duh. I mean, you know, look at all these dudes they've got. But I think that there's something to be said about taking. A completely different team. I mean, you're talking like the Bucks were literally transformed. You got all these different personalities. You got you got former first round picks looking for new homes. You got old ass quarterbacks. You got dudes coming back from retirement. You got all these new faces. You got to put it. You got to put this all into a pot and come out with a chili. And that's hard. I mean, it's it's hard to do. You know, it, uh, there's so many different things at work and and the expectations of this team. I mean, it's sky high. It ain't like, hey, Bruce, you got two or three years to figure this out and do the thing. Like, this is it, man. Like, you you are expected to win it all this year and and to manage all that and to manage all the personalities he's got and to put a team together and kind of get around that suspect defense. I think they're going to do it. I think they'll be in the NFC Championship, and I think that Bruce Arians uh, will be uh, commended for that. All right, last one. Last one, last but not least, we're going to have comeback player of the year. Who do you think? Uh, I'm going to go with a guy that's going back to his stomping grounds. That's Ty Gurley. Um, you know, Ty Gurley, he, he had a turbulence last two years because of that knee and then the contract and everything with Los Angeles. But Ty Gurley play, once played his college ball at the University of Georgia where he, he made a name for himself. And you got to remember, Ty Gurley was the number 10 pick in his draft. And he didn't really even do anything in the combine because he had knee surgery. So, when you think about this, they went strictly off what he did in Georgia. He's back in Georgia. And and Atlanta Falcons, I think they're going to let him come back and show that he still got game. I think he'll be motivated. I think he's happy to be back in the state of Georgia. He's happy to be in Atlanta, be in the Dome, and, you know, back around people he's more familiar with and having a good life. So I do think – the knee might still be a problem, but I think he's more motivated. And when you're more motivated, you figure it out. And uh, so I, I'm going to put Ty Gurley as my combat player. That's a great pick. I wasn't even really thinking about him at first, but that that's – I feel like that that relationship would be kind of boomer bust a little bit. You know, again, that knee's still messed up. It might not matter. But, yeah, I can, yeah. I can see that kind of being a really good storm in Atlanta. We know how good that offense is in the passing attack, so they're going to have opportunities. And it, it kind of feels like, you know, what Devontae Freeman was for them when he was really kind of clicking for that yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with someone. This might be a little bit cheating, but I'm going to go with Bradley Chubb, Denver Broncos defensive end. And this is in light of the Von Miller news. Um you know, that he's likely out for the season. And I, I think that Bradley Chubb's going to have a huge – I mean, Bradley Chubb had, like, I think it was 12 sacks and, like, 20-something quarterback hits in his rookie year. And then last year he missed all but uh, four games with an injury. So, you know, he, he definitely is looking to have that bounce-back season. Now, without Von Miller, I think Bradley Chubb is going to really have to be the guy. But I think that one of the secrets for Denver is kind of like how I said with um, – 
with Nick Bosa is, is the team around him is pretty good. And I think Denver is going to be a lot of shootout game. Like that offense can be very prolific and they're going to be kind of back and forth a lot. And Chubb is going to have a lot of chances to put his ears back into the quarterback. And I think he could, he could even improve on that rookie year he had and probably have 14, 15 sacks potentially and have him quite a year. You're definitely going to need him. Oh yeah. All right, James, go ahead and wrap it up today with the weekend slate of football. It's the first full weekend on tap. We got college football kicking off today, mostly ACC play. You got some Big 12 action as well. Mostly they're playing their uh, kind of like cupcakes and whatnot. Uh, there are no top 25 inner top 25 matchups. We got number one Clemson in action. They're playing Wake Forest. Number 10 Notre Dame is welcoming Duke to town tonight. And also Sunday, we got a full slate of NFL games. So let's go ahead and start in college football. And maybe we'll start with the uh, Clemson Wake Forest game. Anything stand out to you there? I think so, man. I think Clemson going to do what Clemson been doing in the ACC for the last what five, six seasons. I, I don't wait for us. It, maybe if they still had Jamie Newman, uh, Newman over there, maybe you know he might be able to spark it up. But I think Clemson going to take care of them. The game that I looked at the most that that drew interest to me is Duke going to number ten Notre Dame. Uh, that game come on at two thirty Eastern Standard Time on NBC. Ah. I think that game is going to be a lot more competitive than, than what people think. You know, David Clipcut, he got he got some things cooking down there with Duke, with the Blue Devils. Notre Dame, top 10 team. We know what their pedigree is. We know Ryan Kelly going to have them rolling. We know Ian Book. Um, yeah, so Ian Book is he's back, right? So, yeah. yeah. You still, yeah, you know, they, they, that's a top talent team. Uh, that's a blue blood in this, in this sport. We know what they get. We know what they usually bring to the table. I think Duke could surprise them. I'm looking at that game. We got Syracuse and North Carolina. I don't think that's going to be close, to be honest with you. I think North Carolina going to blow their doors off. I really like what Matt Brown has done with that program since he took it over. I think uh, they're going to be one. I think next year, by this time, they might be an elite ACC team. I was about to ask you, like, what, what is the expect? I mean, for North Carolina, they're already number 18, which for North Carolina football, that's, you know, not always the thing. You know, they have their ups and downs, but it really feels like they've got a thing going on down there, right, Chapel? Oh, absolutely. When you, look, when you look at what Matt Brown had done with this team, just go look at their recruiting class. They got a top five recruiting class. Yeah, Sam Howell, you know, quarterback, forsaken. Listen, <laughs> listen, they, Matt Brown – Matt Brown is doing some things with this program. And and I'm telling you, year two, we're going to be talking about this team challenging Clemson at the top of the heat, I think, because um, I really like what he's doing. And, and we see they almost beat Clemson last year. Clemson was in the fight of their lifetime with North Carolina. And the only team so, that did outside of the national championship. I mean, exactly. They stalked everybody then, else. You know, I, I really like what he's doing. Um, their team to look at, so I, I will look at that game just to see how North Carolina come out. But I would say the game I'm more, I'm most excited to watch today will be Duke at uh, number ten Notre Dame. All right. Yeah. I mean, circling back a little bit, I think the Clemson Wake Forest game is a little interesting. I mean, number one, Wake Forest had a very, it had a pretty good year last year. I know a lot of people don't remember it, but um, I remember I got clown one show for talking about them, but um, <laughs> you know, they, they were nine and three. They started eight and one and the, the one loss, they lost like 61 to 59 to Louisville. And it was some like really like fluky into the game. If I remember, like it was some weird, like, penalty or some obscure rule cause I don't know what it was but you know they 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 seem to have a, a better team now that was um that was with Jamie Newman and he's obviously moved on and he he's gonna go ahead and go to the NFL draft and next year so but uh maybe maybe there's enough talent left in that team to really kind of push Clemson and for Clemson 
I am super interested because one, my, my professional team is in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes and we are actually far and away leading the pack. It appears, but I've always been a little skeptical of Trevor Lawrence. I've always thought the receivers kind of floated him a little bit. Well, we know that they, they've lost uh, – they lost T. Higgins in the NFL draft. Uh, Justin Ross out for the season with the neck injury. He won't be playing in 2020. And that offensive line is pretty green. They've got a lot of new faces. You read through their scouting reports and the, and the, the preseason stuff. You know, they've got a lot of new guys rotating in that offensive line. And, and on defense, you know, they lost some studs. They lost Isaiah Simmons. They lost uh, A.J. Terrell. Um, you know, they lost a couple first round picks in the defense. So maybe, I mean, I, I get like, I mean, you're an Alabama fan, you know how this works every year. It's just the year that they're, you know, and then it's like, oh, well, they're still good. Wow. That's weird. And on uh, one thing while we on Clemson, I've cut you off, but it's just okay. a, um, a report came up that um, Trevor Lawrence said that um, he would graduate in December and this will be his last year. So if he just said that to ESPN, it's the wonder of, how motivated would he be during this season? So I just wanted to throw that out there. That's a, well, I think that's, that was about a foregone conclusion. I, Trevor Lawrence doesn't strike me as a guy that's not going to be competitive or not have that fire in them. I think he's a real passionate dude when it comes to the game. I don't think that would be a problem, but I, I do wonder, you know, is he – I want to see, does he look like a first overall pick this season when he doesn't have elite first round talent everywhere at wide receiver. He doesn't have this ridiculous defense to bail him out. You know, I want to see the real Trevor Lawrence. I want to see him persevere with a little bit of adversity, which I don't think he's had much of unless he's in the national championship game. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Also uh, Florida state, Georgia tech, uh, three, three 30 this afternoon, you know, the Mike Norvell era getting started down at FSU. And and again, one of my teams, so a little bit of a homer here, but I think that FSU football has been so bad over the last couple of years you know that it's easy to think that they're like maybe never going to get back to it they haven't won their season opener since 2016 against Ole Miss but they are bringing back Marvin Wilson who, who could be a consensus top 10 pick in the NFL draft or at least top 15 at worst uh Tamari and Terry is coming back as well he had a very solid year last year and he could definitely build on that and you got Josh Kando uh Hasim Najaldeen uh Samuels is back as well in the backfield you know the schedule for Florida State though is brutal and this is the managing the expectations for this team five and five might be good enough as you're going to get you, you get a buy you're going to get a buy next week because the way the scheduling worked out you get Miami on the road you got a cupcake you got a Notre Dame at night you're home from North Carolina you got Louisville Pitt NC State Virginia Duke so there aren't a lot of wins when you look at that schedule <laughs> oh, oh well there's one there's one so I think it's incredibly important you're at home you got week one with your new coach. Don't do what Willie Taggart did and get smoked in both your opening games. You know, Virginia Tech rolled all over you in, at home under the lights. And then the next year, you had like a 400-point lead on Boise State, and you let that get away from you. You know, don't don't start the season like that. You know, Mike Norvell has had a lot of punches already in this, this tenure at Florida State, and he needs this game to go right. They need to get off on the right foot. That defense needs to be good. And James Blackman needs to not turn the ball over. And I think that um, – Hopefully for the Florida State Seminoles, they'll get off on the right track to start off. So that pretty much, I think, covers the college football matchups. Again, there's not a lot of big stuff yet. You know, the SEC hasn't started. So you're not going to get a ton of top 25 matchups. And we have no idea how that's going to shake out with COVID. The other team's not playing. You know, the Big Big Ten's still doing their thing. So let's go and go over the NFL. Look at a couple of these games before we let y'all go. So we've got um, – Green Bay, Minnesota, Cleveland, Baltimore, uh, Tampa Bay, New Orleans. I think they're still playing. They had some last-minute issues in the stadium. Uh, and then Dallas, Los Angeles, and Arizona, San Francisco. Uh, on this list, uh, any of these really kind of jump out at you? What do they? This, what? Great. It's a way of loaded week one, man. It really Yo, that, this is in 
Green, I, I'm interested. I signed up for Green Bay, Minnesota. I like uh, Cleveland, Baltimore. I'm very, very interested in seeing. So let me go back to Green Bay, Minnesota. We seen what Green Bay did in the offseason with the draft, with the free agency. <laughs> if Jay was here, he'd probably be he's still here. Um, I can hear him and, yelling, actually, from his house 500 miles away. <laughs> so we've seen that, but then we seen Minnesota do the top, the total opposite. They had a very fantastic offseason. They plugged every hole that they had. So now we need to see that talent come. And listen, this is a division game, so it matters. Something got to shape. I can't wait to see that. Cleveland and Baltimore. Listen, I just said that I think Baltimore is going to go 16 and 0 because they have the easiest schedule. But with that said, I want to see can Kevin Safansky come in here, give Cleveland a grown up culture, is there an and adult make room? them better. Yep. Right? Yep. That's what we want to see with this. Cleveland has the talent. We're not worried about the talent, we're not worried about it. We want to know, can somebody sit these guys down and make them play as a complete team? And that is what I'm most interested in seeing. So I'm, I'm there for that. Tom Bay and New Orleans, are you kidding me? Who don't want to see Tom Brady and Drew Brees shoot it out? Now, granted, they do play twice, and I think the second game is going to be a lot better than this one. However, you know, I, I, I want to see both of these guys play without playing the preseason game. Let's see how this game turns out. Um, but by the time they play again, we'll have a, a way better product, I think, because um, they'll have a lot of games. they have games under their under they, they belt at that time. So, you know, I, I'm always signing up for two Hall of Famers going at it. Uh, Dallas and Los Angeles, what can we say? We've been talking about that um, America Express card that the Los Angeles Rams been using with no limit, and they just been spending all that money. But then we got Dallas. We got a new wrinkle. Mike McCarthy calling the plays now. Dak Prescott did not get the contract he wanted. Uh, everybody else did get paid. And, and the defense lost a lot of juice on that side of the ball. So we're not going to see the same Dallas team we've been seeing, seeing for the last couple of years. But you got the Rams. They got most of their budget tied up with three players. So what do we see? Do Jared Goff takes a step forward and try to win some games by himself? He no longer has Todd Gurley in the backfield. So... That is going to be interesting. And then Arizona and San Francisco. By the way, I'm going to take Arizona in this game. Only because I think in the second year, in, in Clint, for Cliff Kingsbury and for um, Murray, uh, those two guys get another young in their belt. You got DeAndre Hopkins now. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald gets some help now. You got Kenya Drake in the backfield. I, I really do think that the Cardinals got some pieces now. I think they're going to be better than we think. I think the Rams are going to be last in the division. So I'm really I'm really excited to see that game. So listen, man, it's hard for me to pick one. But if I got to pick one, I think I'm going to probably go with you don't, have to, you, don't have to, you don't have to pick one. I mean, I was just oh, thinking okay. of them all, you know, like which one's kind of really – I think there's something to like in every one of these games. It really is. You know, I think, again, Minnesota, building that team like they have, you know, can can Aaron Rodgers carry essentially the same Green Bay team uh, back through the, the thing again with what an offseason that didn't really help them in any meaningful way, you feel like. Um, Cleveland, again, same thing. Can Is there an adult in the room? 
You know, we, we know what the Baltimore Ravens are going to do. It can, can the Cleveland Browns come out week one against a divisional opponent? They're going to have to beat probably at least once to get to the playoffs. Can they come out and, and do what they have to do? We get we get a better Baker Mayfield. You know, what, what do we get out of that Cleveland team? So that's really important. Um, some interesting notes for the, the Tampa Bay game. You know, Mike Evans likely out week one uh, for the Saints. They're going to be missing Cesar Ruiz and Marcus Davenport, two first-round picks over the last couple of years. Uh, both those guys are going to be out for week one. So a couple guys missing. But uh, New Orleans at home, I'd like to think they're going to take care of business week one, even though I do have a high expectation for Tampa Bay. It might be asking a little too much to beat such a seasoned, cohesive team like New Orleans week one. Uh, Dallas, I have huge expectations for them. I think they're going to be a they're going to be a, a big offense. They're going to be a, you know Zeke's going to be back to form, and I think the Dallas is going to put up a lot of points. And what better test than the Los Angeles Rams, who spent a lot of money on that defense? You know, can you do it against Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and crew? And yeah, Arizona and uh, San Francisco. You know, can can again can that Cleve Kingsbury experience can it work in Week One against a super a defending Super Bowl runner up? I mean, can a team that you know did had the success they had, can you come out in Week One and do that? So we'll see. It's going to be a great weekend. All right. So I finished off with rapid reaction. A lot of topics, a little bit of time. Let's go, Drink. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Los Angeles Rams cornerback Jalen Ramsey finally got his payday to the tune of a five-year, $105 million extension. That deal includes a $71 million guarantee, and it resets the market for his position. Big deal for the Rams, right? Uh, like you said, man, they're just keeping that credit card swiping. And, you know, I mean, they gave up so much to get him. You include the two first-round picks and the fourth-round pick, and now that kind of money. Like I've always said, when you tie a disproportionate part of your salary cap to one player, when they're not a defensive end or a quarterback, it's so hard for them to make up that difference. You're paying them versus what other teams are paying them. So Jalen Ramsey's that dude. If anyone deserves it, it's him. But, boy, that's a lot of money. And going into 2021, they're going to have over $80 million just in golf. Donald and Ramsey alone, which is going to be about half the salary cap with the COVID reduction. So good luck filling the rest of that roster out. Robo retired UFC superstar Conor McGregor was recently tested by the USADA on his yacht. Drink, uh, isn't he retired? So, um, yeah, for those that don't know, this USADA, uh, that's the, the, the doping anti, this stands for United States anti-doping agency. Um, Yes, he said he was retired. However, if you're still getting tested by your side, then no, you're not retired because no one's just getting tested for the hell of it. That's not how that works. Um, and, and especially if they come on your yacht and test you because the, the way your side works is they don't give you much of a heads up. Three dudes show up, ready to go, gloves on. We need, we need blood, hair, and urine. And if you say no, you're probably not fighting for like the next six months to a year. So, um, by the fact that he did get tested, it's very hard for me to say that he's retired. So it sounds just like a verbal negotiation tactic at this point. The Rams and 49ers are playing at home Sunday, but the air quality from the massive California fires could potentially force the NFL to change the location. Should the NFL make this call, Cody? It looks pretty dire. I mean, the we've seen the scenes out of California with the sky all orange and Mad Max looking and whatnot. And I think that um, the air quality itself is continuing to drop. It's not getting better. Those wild, wildfire smoke, which is now some of the largest in California state history, I think the largest in terms of acres burned, is definitely uh, not getting better. And the situation doesn't look like it's going to improve over the weekend. The good thing for the NFL is now the teams fly out today they still have a little bit of time to potentially make some logistical hurdles and hopefully they could just flip the home games to keep this about even. But I, 
don't think it's a great look. The Rams might be able to get away with it, but the 49ers park looks pretty bad. They might have to either postpone this game to like a Monday and fly the teams out to the other stadium or something like that, maybe go to Arizona, because it does not look good. It would look very strange on TV. Reigning Defensive Player of the Year, Stephon Gilmore's salary is going up from $10.5 million to $15.5 million with $17.5 max in incentives for Adam Schefter. Right call by the Patriots or not, Drake? Yeah, it's right call. You got to pay somebody. Why not pay your best player on defense? Um, you know, it is what it is. I think he deserved it. Well deserved. Um, and, I, you know, I don't have a problem with it. Even if they would have pushed it up even more, I don't have a problem with it. You got your best player, you give them the best money, and we keep rolling. Ohio State head coach publicly called out the Big Ten this week, once again pushing for a season start in the conference. With week one starting tomorrow, it sounds like the Big Ten is under pressure, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, it is it's getting underway. And I think that, again, every week that goes by, the Big Ten is watching other teams play football and going, why can't we do this? You know, it's, it's going to mount a ton of pressure. And, again, I, I think that we're going to get this back underway, uh, hopefully by early to mid-October at best. WBC lineal heavyweight champion Tyson Fury and former WBC champ Deontay Wilder are looking to target December 19th for the trilogy fight. It's, uh, better late than never, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we need to go ahead and wrap this one. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and get this third fight going. Let's go ahead and win or lose or whatever. Uh, and let's stop having this elephant in the room, low-hanging fruit, all this good stuff. And, you know, let's get a result so we can move on with the heavyweight division. Because I think this fight is kind of stagnizing the heavyweight division. Because until this fight happens, you kind of got to wait. So... Hopefully we got they they fight on December nineteenth. We get our entertainment and then we move on with the division. Houston Rockets forward Daniel House has been booted from the NBA playoff bubble this week after allegedly sneaking a female COVID testing employee in his room. His head is not um, his head is in the wrong place with Game Five looming, right? Yeah, I mean, House isn't like a superstar or anything, but he's definitely a meaningful contributor on the Rockets. And it just goes to show, I mean, you got, you know, 35-year-old, whatever it is, LeBron, just locked in, doing his thing, going to work. On the other side of this, you got, you know, your stars are flopping around. You know, House is sneaking people in and getting booted out of the bubble. Like, it just shows, like, there's two different ways to run your team. And we, we clearly have both representations of it right here in this game. So, yeah, I mean, the Rockets, we're going to need him for game five to stay in the series. And, Ain't going to have him now, so bad news for them. Saturday night on ESPN Plus, the top-ranked welterweight boxing main event at the MGM Grand Conference Center in Las Vegas between Mean Machine Calavascus and Michael Zewski. A drink, does this fight mean anything for the division? Nope. This fight is about as meaningless as trying to say their names. I think yes, that's why it's on ESPN Plus at 10 o'clock, because it, it is what it is. Uh, uh, you know, Mean Machine kind of made his name. He did give... Um, what many people would consider the number one or number two pound for pound uh, fighter in the world right now, Terrence Crawford, uh, a good fight. But I mean, I don't, I don't think this draw that many eyes uh, to be perfectly honest. After a serious ankle injury Friday, it is likely that Denver will lose star pass rusher Von Miller for the season after surgery this week. How does Denver overcome this loss? It's going to be hard, man. I mean, Von Miller is that guy. He has been for a long time. Not only is he incredibly productive on the field, but he is the leader of the team. He has been for several years now uh, with all the other turnover they've had. 
And it's going to be a huge loss. Like I said, I think Bradley Chubb is going to step up immensely in his absence, but he's going to have to because if he doesn't, uh, this Denver defense, which was, you know, okay last year, but not great, uh, they're going to definitely have their work cut out for him uh, if that offense isn't able to stay on the field that much. Last one, tomorrow evening on ESPN in Las Vegas at the UFC Apex Center. It's a UFC strawweight main event between strawweight contenders Michelle Waterson and Angela Hill. Do you got a drink? Uh, I'm going to take Angela Hill in this one, but I'm, I will say this. Listen, the loser of this fight, they get cut from the roster. Um, listen, this is the first time in forever I've seen a main event where neither fighter was ranked in their division. That tells me that this fighter can very well be getting cut from the roster because you, you, you only got a short period of time in the UFC, and it, it's coming down for both of these fighters. But I'm going to tell you, Angela Hill, um, they're both coming off a loss. That's another thing. They're both coming off a loss in their last fight. But Angela Hill, to me, was more competitive in her last fight than Michelle Waterson was in her last fight. So I'm going to take Angela Hill on that one. All right. But Blue's Day's Drink of Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. And I'm Nathan Drinker. And remember, make tomorrow better than today and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do. I'll let you until next time, baby.